Let's do that hockey. Welcome to Dauber Prospect Report. This is report number 38. I'm Victor Nuno, one of the co-hosts here. And with me is Peter Harling and our producer, Evan. How you doing, Pete? Good, Victor. Santa came. Brought all kinds of Christmas cheer. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. I, I guess one thing it hasn't been bringing a lot of is dubs for your Red Wings, huh, Evan? Jesus, man. Ugh, it's been a nightmare December. I don't know. In the last night, James Reimer. Oh, my God. Why is he even in the league? I just I don't know anymore. Really frustrated. <laughs> but uh, maybe the hockey guards will gods will give uh, the Detroit some some good karma this year, and and if they can flame out and finish low, they'll actually win a draft lottery. This would be a good year to yeah, win. That's not happening. But no, I <laughs> World Juniors has been great. You know, we got a lot of prospects in there, and I hope we get to talk about some of them today. I know we talked about ASP last week, but. Really excited to be. I've been watching Trey Augustine and Kevin Bicker in Germany, and it's been a good time. Always a good thing to do is look look forward, right? When things are, you know, difficult right now, there's a lot of teams with that are low in the standings that have some great prospects represented this tournament, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about some early impressions from the World Junior Championships. It's going to be a good time. Before we get started, though, I want to remind you that Dauber Prospects Report is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're very excited to be part of the army of fantastic hockey podcasts. Please check out at HockeyPodNet for all the shows like this one, talking hockey from fantasy to team coverage to you name it. You can also use the DraftKings promo code THPN for listening to the show. More on that in a bit. And we are also proudly sponsored by Fantrax, which is the ultimate league manager for dynasties, any dynasty sport you play. Completely customizable for however you want to set up your league, from scoring categories to an amazing draft room, draft pick trading, and a treasury option with so, so much more. Use the promo code to sign up for a free league using the link fantrax.com forward slash dpr show all right gentlemen so we kind of are just going to freeform this a little bit obviously there's just been a few days of action in the books as we're recording this sweden and germany are just finishing up their game so we've had three busy days of action but there's been a lot of stuff happening where, where do you want to go first with this pete well i think maybe the the most impressive or shocking thing for for me in this tournament has been the play of macklin celebrini and he's the you know the first first prospect to go off the board in the upcoming draft, according to everyone's prognostications. We talked about him on the episode with our our thoughts about players to watch, and I had said that I think he'll start off the tournament a little slow, ease his way into it, and become a bit of a darling in the tournament. And I don't think there's been much much easing or transition for the kid. He's looked really good right out of the, the pre-tournament games. He looked good against the USA in the pre-tournament game. I like the the impact he's had on the games. They're not playing him in sheltered minutes. You know, he's not getting only offensive zone starts. I think he could actually be utilized a little bit more frequently because he's leading the tournament in scoring, and that's only two games, but we've had some pretty pretty big scoring games early on. So I think that might be maybe the most significant impression right off the bat so far for me, Victor. How about you? Well... Well, if you give me a chance to talk about Celebrini, I'm I'm going to take it because, yeah, he's been he's been fun. And, you know, it's it's pretty impressive, you know, as, as such a young age. And people forget, you know, that he's a really, really young 17 year old. Right. And been playing in college. And, you know, all of all of this is just is super impressive. And, you know, Team Canada maybe is not as stacked as they have been in the past, but they're still a very good team. And he he's getting like. You know, prime opportunity is getting, you know, great deployment. And he not only is 
is is there, but he is doing really, really well with that deployment. I mean, some of the moves that he's making are just, you know, next level. And it shows, you know, how how impressive he is. One of the things I want to do during this episode is quote some of Mitch Brown's tracking data. Mitch Brown, my EP ringside colleagues, he he tracks the world juniors, does all the micro stats and everything. It's a short tournament, so you know, you can't take too much away from it. But you know, these are 18 and 19 year old, generally a 19 year old tournament. And after day two, Celebrini had the most uh, primary expected points of anyone in the entire tournament. That was after the America before the Americans had had their game on Thursday. But he still has the most as the highest game score, which takes into account points, weighted shots, shot assists, entries, exits, breakups, and five on five impact. So Macklin Celebrini is the top ahead of Nagrud, Nazar, Brindley, and some other guys. Matejchuk is up there, and I referenced the expected primary points. The only few that the only few that are ahead of him now are Nazar, Nagrud, and Leonard. And those guys have all played, you know, are all older and have played, you know, against stronger competition for longer. So the young man is just impressive. And yeah, any we talked about the Bedard lottery this year. I mean, the Celebrini lottery, I think, is is franchise altering. You know, he's that good. Yeah, I think the most impressive thing for me in his tournament has not necessarily been the impact he's had offensively and, and the, the points he's put up, but the way he drives the play, the support he has for the puck. So when he doesn't have possession of the puck, he's he's putting himself in open ice and he's supporting the puck defensively and offensively. He does everything so quick, like his feet are fast, his hands are fast, and he's obviously processing things really quickly as well. You know, like he takes passes that are coming up behind him a little bit late and has the elite level skill to manipulate that into a favorable position while keeping his head up, while maintaining motion, while keeping an eye on all the pieces on the board that are that are in play, making a quick short pass jumping to like immediately jumping into an open space so he can receive the puck back and, and, and then move it forward. He's thinking things at a pace that is at the same pace or faster than the world junior. And like you said, he's two years younger than the intended age for this tournament and he is driving play and looking really good doing it. So for my opinion, I think he's, he's significantly increased his fantasy value stock. Um, you know, it was, it was high going in uh, but this is my first real good viewings of him and it's moved the needle pretty hard in the in the right direction for me he's someone who you're only going to get if you're lucky or maybe you make some trades for first round picks let's talk about someone who might be available and that's gavin brinley and man this guy he, he's currently second there's a bunch of people tied for second at this point with five points in two games so he's he's american and Brindley was taken in the, he was in the, in the second round by Columbus, I think, right? And the thing that, the only reason he was taken so late is because he's small, you know, he's five foot nine. And, you know, they, that was also fun because, you know, Columbus ended up getting his good buddy, Fantilli, but then also taking him, yeah, 34th overall. So just the beginning of the second round. And I was talking with JD Burke at the at the draft and I know he was talking about how much he he loves this guy and and I was kind of like yeah he's smaller right and he just kept raving about all the things that he does well with and without the puck 
such a strong motor. And, and he, he and I were just talking and mentioned, he mentioned on Twitter that he was talking to a scout who said that Gavin Brindley would be leading the league in scoring if he wasn't so deferential with the puck, you know, if he was a little bit more selfish. That just goes to show how how good he is. And looking at Mitch Brown's tracking data, you look at the names at the top and they all kind of make sense. You know, Nazar, Snugrud, Leonard, Celebrini, McGrody, Danielson, Dumais, Perot, Geeky. These are all guys that you probably would expect. And then there's Gavin Brindley there. So he's someone who, you know, maybe you, 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 you know, think about grabbing. He's, he's a point per game at Michigan. And that was after being almost a point per game last season in his draft season. So, you know, I don't know. His, his stock is definitely rising. I mean, he's he's always going to have the small guy problems, but he just plays so effectively. Like, he's someone that you can literally put out in any situation. Right now, he's kind of deployed on a third line, so to speak, with with Nazar. And, I mean, that's an insane third line to have, you know, with some real talent. But, you know, in the NHL, he could he could find a role as, as a, you know, penalty killer and, you know, scoring depth kind of thing. So, I don't know. I wouldn't go crazy trying to acquire him, but what what are your thoughts on on Brinley P? Would you would you throw a, a soft offer out there to try to get your hands on him? Well, so he's only thirteen percent fan tracks rostered, so his ownership is is low. I would be more inclined to add him as a free agent ad if possible. Trade value for prospects in the World Junior, especially for players who are killing it at the World Junior, like their their stock is is high. You'll have to pay. You won't get them for cheap if you want to try to acquire him now. So no, now wouldn't be the time I would try and acquire him in a trade. I like the profile though. The only thing that, that I don't like about him is, is his, is his height, as you mentioned. However, he's in his second year of NCAA now, and he's well-established himself as a point per game player. This is his second tour of duty at the world junior championships. And he put up four points in seven games last year for them too. And in a support role, and he's got five and two this this year on a, on a team that's loaded with all-stars so he's maintaining pace offensively with some high profile prolific offensive players and the thing about the americans and, and their performances I, I won't really grade it until we get out of the round robin because they're in a pretty weak division right like they're piling on switzerland and, and norway they got slovakia and czechia coming up but you know, those those still aren't heavyweight teams necessarily. So we'll see how they, they compete against Canada or Sweden whenever <clears throat> whenever it gets down to the to the nitty gritty at the later parts of this tournament. But he's definitely a player that's caught my attention. It's hard not to notice a guy that's that's scoring when you have two goals, two goals today, I think, or, or three. I think he almost had three. He had two. And he plays a nice, tenacious four checking game. So, you know, he's small, but he doesn't play like the small role. He, he's a good two-way player. He, he capitalizes on the offensive chances that he gets, and he's got a lot of Charlie Hustle. So it's easy to root for an underdog like that. So, so yeah, it's a player I like. I got all kinds of time for him. We kind of jumped into the forwards, but I wanted to back up and talk some goalies because, you know, goalies in this tournament, you know, they it's a short tournament, and you can really raise your stock. I mean, we kind of know some of them already, but... You know, Hugo Havlid is undrafted because he's five foot ten, and and he's doing as expected for Sweden. He's great. Adam Guyan was goalie of the tournament last year for Slovakia and almost took them to the to the gold medal. That was pretty cool. And he's one of the things Mitch has is is the goal save above expected, and he's like breaking the chart. He has four and a half goals save above expected. But then I think there's some interesting things here too, right? Like Matthias 
Rousseau. We didn't know who the starter for Canada would be, and he's been pretty great, I would say. And Trey Augustine, we kind of knew he'd be the starter, but I also think he was, I mean, in that Norway game, you kind of mentioned them as a bit of a soft opponent, which is fair, but Norway was kind of taking it to the Americans in the first part of that game, and Augustine was fantastic. He really kept them in that game and then ended up looking like a bit of a blowout, but it was not so for a long time, and, and Augustine has has a goal set above expected, so he's doing a little bit better than you would think. So I'm wondering what you think about these two. Rousseau, is he the next Devin Levi, perhaps? Going to make a name for himself and, you know, earn himself <laughs> a, a pick and, and maybe maybe be an NHL starter someday like, like Levi has been? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Rousseau runs with it for the rest of the tournament. He's having a really great year with Halifax, which is one of the top rated teams throughout the entire CHL. So he's playing on a good team there and he's he's doing very well. Looks like he's he's got the job for Canada. So I think there's a really good comparison from Canadian World Junior history here for him. But unfortunately for him, I don't think it's Devin Levi, the goalie that that kind of captures the attention of the nation the way Justin Pogue did back in the day. I think you know, long term he might have more Justin Pogue upside than Devin Levi upside. You know, he's he's an overage. I don't think he was I don't think he was drafted. So he'll be back in the draft this no. year if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, he was not drafted. Yeah. So I mean, when you got a team in front of you that's as good as Canada is, even though it's not one of the better teams that we've seen the mice in this tournament, they're still really damn good. Mm-hmm. He just needs to make the saves that an average goalie needs to make, right? He doesn't have to be the best goalie in that tournament. He just can't let in stinkers the wrong time kind of thing, you know, like he, he's got to make those important saves and he's got to make the, the gotta have saves. Can't let in squeakers. Can't like wave at the puck and not catch it and have it go in with a shot from the center ice or some nonsense like that. That's all he's got to do. And I think he's quite capable of doing that. So I think, you know, I think his value could get artificially inflated in this tournament. Now, Adam Gayan. It's early. He's going two games in. So I think we might see his his graph that we're looking at here with the, the goals saved above expected kind of regress to the median a little bit there. But he was, like you said, he was a star of the show for them last year. And the early signs this year is that he can he can do it again. So, you know, that that could be a team to watch out for. The German goalie as well has has looked pretty good. Philip Dietl. And their game against Finland, where they beat Finland for the first time in the history of ever. And he had a lot to do with that, keeping them in the game and making those important saves. That's just one game. We'll see how they do. They're playing Sweden right now. And oh, it's doesn't look like, nothing. Nothing doesn't, look, doesn't look like they're going to beat Sweden. But, you know, you, got, you need some run support to win a game. But he's, he's been pretty great, too. So, Yeah, he's been good. So the number to remember there is 1 in 25. Yeah. And all I need is one. That's in the history of this tournament. I don't know. I don't know if they've beaten them at the, the men's world or somewhere else, but never beaten them at the world juniors, which is, I was looking at the numbers too. They've beaten Canada and the U.S. a few times each. They've beaten mm-hmm. some other decent countries, but they've never beaten Finland, which is crazy. But yeah, you know, they kind of play a similar style, right? Like they're good team, like always in the right position, like good team structure, pain in the ass to kind of break down. And, and watching that game was, was interesting because it was kind of two styles that you would think would be boring, but I didn't think it was boring at all. I thought it was very interesting and they had some pretty good chances. And yeah, the goalie has been good. 
And uh, the other goalie we didn't mention is, or you didn't, you didn't mention there is Trey, uh, Trey Weston, you mentioned him briefly, but what do you think about what's happening with the Red Wings? Because we have heard and we've, we've seen some rumblings, you know, they're, they're what a lot of people thought their heir apparent who was Sebastian Costa would be, you know, would, would be killing it and already kind of, you know, doing well in the AHL. And, and he really has not been. <laughs> so do you think that, Arstein maybe is is getting close to you know passing him because he's been he's been great in college he's you know starred internationally Kosa has not you know he's kind of fallen flat when he's when he has appeared for Canada you know abbreviated performance and then you know I believe that was the tournament that Levi took over for him wasn't it and then you know the rest is history and he's been struggling in Grand Rapids struggling in the ECA well he did okay in the ECHL but he's back in the HL this year 897 save percentage in 14 games it kind of seems like he's struggling and Augustine is not you think the things tides are flipping there well that's the direction that it's trending but there's still a long way to go before we we see who who comes out on top between those two and Costa's got a pretty good pedigree with his junior career behind him and and he's ginormously big, so he's got that working for him. The Red Wings took him ahead of Jesper Wallstadt. That, you know, they might rue the day they made that decision. And, you know, he's playing pro hockey, and and Trey Augustine is not. He's still playing, you know, college and against junior kids. So we'll see what, what Augustine does when, when he graduates from school and starts playing against the big boys. But right now, it's you know, they they are... Augustine is is doing what you would hope and expect for him to do as a, an elite prospect goalie playing at the level that he's playing at. So he's training in the right direction. And as you mentioned, Kosa is, is having some, some early struggles at the pro level, kind of got his, his trend uh, pointing in the down direction. So we'll see. They're both still very young. There's a lot of development road ahead of us before we can come to any conclusions. But if I were a Sebastian Kosa owner in fantasy, I would be concerned. Uh, you don't like to see the the young prospects stumble as hard as he has right out of the gate. Now, I'm sure you could cite many, many examples of goalies who had really great junior careers, took a little bit of adjustment time to adapt to either, you know, North American ice or the pro level or whatever, and then work out to be just fine. Uh, so we'll we'll see how he's going there. But, you know, I, I'd be... I'd be concerned and I'd be willing to listen to offers if anyone wanted to send me some if I owned them. Yeah, I think, you know, looking at the hockey prospecting chart for them, it's kind of, they're kind of at the same level right now, whereas Sosa was higher and he's kind of trended down to 34% chance of being an NHL and Augustine has trended up from 29 to 32. It's also interesting to think about, besides Costa being huge, he's also really old for his draft year. So he's already 21 because he's a November birth date. So he's been older, he's bigger, he's, you know, been able to, you know, age out a little bit earlier of the WHL, which maybe wasn't good for him because he struggled in his pro transition. But I agree with you, there's still plenty of time. I, I If I were looking at these two straight up, I, I certainly would still hold on to Kosa because the draft pedigree is there and it's still too early. But, you know, for the cost of acquisition, say you're looking at getting Augustine, you know, maybe not now because it's the tournament time, but, you know, if you could maybe get him and, you know, kind of hedge because he seems like he might have as good a chance as any, then uh, I think that might be a reasonable bet. It's also interesting. I was talking with with Kat Silverman about these two in the summer. And I think what Detroit did is really smart here because these two goalies are very different because Kosa is huge. He's kind of, you know, flexible and lanky and 
you know, has has that has that good frame and like reflexes and stuff. Whereas Augustine being a bit smaller at six one, but he's more, you know, athletic and has like a, a better like kind of mentality to his game. So they're kind of very different goalies. And so they kind of just like we have two very different goalies in our system. Let's see which one, you know, kind of works out as opposed to some goal, some teams that kind of draft the same type of goalie. And so then they just kind of have the the same sort of, you know, this guy's going to fit into our system no matter what. So that can be that, can, you know, I think those different approaches are just, you know, they're interesting, like which way you want to go. And I, I think it's cool that Detroit went in completely different directions because you're looking at these two and they're like so opposite, but one of them is probably going to, one or both of them is going to be in the crease for the Red Wings someday. And at this point, the way things are trending, I think they're, they're ready for, for anyone else to be in their crease because it's been a struggle lately all right let's go back to the forwards and talk about a couple of guys here i think most of the people who listen to this podcast victor are in deep dynasty leagues and enjoy watching the world juniors because they're they're invested in prospects but most of the prospects of the players that are in this tournament are already rostered or drafted they're accounted for they've got some guys on their rosters that they're watching for but there is a little bit of intrigue i think for you know deep dynasty players like you and I and, and the people that listen to this to try and mine some value from prospects who haven't been drafted yet. So either draft eligible or undrafted players. And there's two players that are undrafted in this tournament that are on relatively prominent teams and they're right up at the top of the, the early scoring lead. And that is Canada's Owen Allard and Czechia's Mateus Malovsky. Between the games you've seen and, and it's early, but between those two guys, who's kind of who, who's impressed you the most? And if you had the option to, you know, if your rules in your league allowed you to acquire guys who were who were undrafted, they just become free agents, and you had one spot, and you're eyeballing these two players, who who do you who do you prefer over the other? Well, I've definitely seen more of a lard. And did you spell the last guy's name? M e l o v s k y. O v l. M e l. Oh, M e l. O-V-S-K-Y. He's got four assists. Ah, there we go. Yeah, so Allard, I've seen a lot more of, and he's, he impressed me. You know, he, this, this Canada team that has a lot of high-skilled players, and, and he's kind of in there doing the dirty work and, you know, mopping up, you know, doing some, some good work around the net, and, you know, he's got some skill, too. I think I would, I didn't really see as much of the other players, so I don't think I can speak confidently about them. So I, I don't know how much Lard actually has in terms of like upside, but you know, he's he definitely is raising his stock, obviously, in this tournament. So I would probably throw a flyer out on him, but uh, I, I don't know that I feel super confidently about either. I watched a little bit of the Czechia game, and uh, frankly, the only guy that stood out to me a ton was my one of my favorite players Yuri Kulik and there were some other guys who who were there I, you know Chalet a little bit and yeah I did notice I did notice some of the other players Shapol Shapovalov as well and uh, yeah Malowski they, they were kind of noticeable but not as much it was just I guess I was just really distracted by Kulik to be to be frank because he's just so so good but yeah I don't know that I could could honestly tell you the difference between those two but Alard did stand out to me in a very positive way uh, amongst all the kind of in, in some ways similar to Brinley right Brinley to me stood out so impressively with all these other 
first round picks than stars on the American team. He was frankly one of their best players in a, in a large, you know, I don't know that you can say it exactly to the same level, but he was like, wow, who's this guy? Like, he's really, he's good. He's really driving play and making some great, great stuff. Not that the other guys weren't, but it was like, it was a bit eye-opening. Like, I remember when the, when the team was announced, it was like, who's this guy? They're taking him over, you know, Furcus and like some of the other players that they cut. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, now I get it. He's, he's really good. And he's, you know, he, he doesn't back down from, from any play and he's really tenacious on the puck. So you love to see that. What about you? Well, you know, I didn't really have much of a file on on Allard at all, despite the fact he plays in the Um, So he's got the size advantage over Brindley. He's 6'2", 201. Oops. I think I have a pretty small file on him because he played 66 games in his rookie season, but only 14 last year. So, you know, he kind of had a, a year off. That was his draft year. So seven points through 14 games. 30 points in 29 games this year for the Sioux. So, you know, he's he's making some noise, atoning for missing for an entire season's development by cracking the World Junior roster, which is pretty impre- incredible. I think between him and Malovsky, I think further data is required. He's he plays in Canada as well. He's a he's in the Quebec Major Junior League playing with Bay Como Dakar. He's it's in his second season there. He's been a point of game player. Both seasons, he's on pace for 76 points in 64 games this year. So, you know, he's playing in the CHL and he's producing point a game. That's that's not bad. So those these both these guys will will get really good scouting opportunities at the World Juniors from NHL scouts this year, as well as as fantasy scouts. And they'll both probably be drafted in Vegas as overage players in the mid round. Allard was invited to two NHL development camps that I know of, Ottawa and Colorado. I'm not too sure about Malofsky. I'm I'm sure he was, but I, I can't say which ones are for sure. But those are definitely two players that you know, have very low Fantrax rostership because they're not drafted and they'll be they'll be available in the draft this year. And if you've got a, a later fantasy pick, those are some of the tempting players that I like to target because they're older. Right. So they're closer to playing pro. They'll be graduating junior hockey sooner than later. And, you know, you don't have to commit four or five years of prospect rostering to them before you get some sort of clarity as to what the upside is, even though if it's uh, perhaps a, a smaller ceiling than you might get in earlier round picks. But if you're picking them with your third or fourth round of your fantasy draft, then you know, you're not really risking a lot and you don't have to wait too long to find out. So interesting players to keep an eye on from a fantasy perspective, I think. Yeah, I love those deep dives. I wanted to circle back. This isn't exactly a deep dive, but we kind of mentioned his name already. But Frank Nazar for the Americans, I think he has been a a little bit, you know, a little bit under the radar or he had a bit of a downward trend after his draft season which was which was really strong and you know then he had that injury he had the injury so he was out for for much of his draft plus one season and so he he didn't really play very much played 13 games and you know he has 18 points in 18 games right now for michigan and he has five points so far in two games for this tournament i think that the only reason i want to mention him is that he looks phenomenal he looks like one of the best players in this tournament and you know, he's basically getting like third line deployment because they have the BC line with, you know, Perot and Leonard and Smith. And then they have the Gauthier, Snuggerud 
and McGrory line. And so they, I mean, they basically have two top lines and then they have Nazar who's playing with Brinley. And I, I can't remember who the third member of that line is off the top of my head, but, but Nazar has been making some incredible passes. He's driving play. He's getting to the middle. He, he's also a bit undersized, but people don't tend to talk about that as much. He's only five, nine, but he gets really inside position. He doesn't back down from, from any physical, you know, physical altercations or anything. But I think that, you know, if, if, if people have soured a little bit on his production, because he did have that sort of soft year. And you look, if you look at some of his equivalencies for Frank Nazar, it's a little bit lower, but I still think he is going to, you know, he still has first line potential and he's in the Chicago system. You know, of course, people are going to be excited about him playing with Bedard, obviously, but you know, who knows if that'll I'll play with him or someone else. But what, what do you think about Nazar? Have you have you watched any the American games and have you been a little bit impressed with with what he's been doing? Yeah, I've seen two or three of them because I watched the the pre-tournament game against Canada. And he's a player, I'm glad you brought him up, Victor, because that's a player that I liked more than than the average ranking in his draft year. Um, so I was a little bit higher on him. And then he missed the entire season, which was a real downer. That's an important season of development that he's missed almost the entire season. So that really sucked. But he would be a first line center on a lot of the other teams in this tournament. But because the Americans are, are so stacked, he's buried on the third line. And your assessment on him, I think, is, is, is pretty bang on. He's a little undersized, but I really like how he has been creating offense. He is a very, very gifted playmaker. His his passing vision is really good, as well as his <clears throat> his passing ability. He gives really firm, crisp passes right in the wheelhouse, like not to the general direction of the player. He puts it right in the shooting lane for the player that he, there's very little corralment required when he passes it to you and you're at the side of the net. It's just just you can just one time it or catch and release and, and let her rip. I also like his uh, dedication and defensive play. I think he supports the the puck defensively very well. He back checks effectively, smartly. I mean, he's not he's not big, but he gets in passing lanes, and he makes really good pass interceptions as well. He he seems to be a pretty heady, smart player, and I, I've really enjoyed watching him in this tournament. And I think you might have actually traded him to me in in one of our leagues, or someone did, and I was pretty happy to get him. So I know I'm, I'm enjoying watching him play. And I think his fantasy value is, is, is going to take an uptick after this tournament, like a lot of the Americans will. Yeah, I, I think that was me. I think that was the McGrady trade. And yeah, uh, he's, he's great. He, he, his passes remind me of Joe Thornton's passes. It's just yeah. so, so crisp. Like even his backhand passes are like, they're they're just right on the money and no one can intercept them because they're so fast and it's just like wow like how did you even see that guy a and how did you get it to him so fast with no one having a chance to intercept it it's just yeah he's good you're gonna enjoy that one yeah his his sauce passes that you know they're two feet in the air and they land flat and like right on the money one other guy i wanted to mention a bit of a depth forward who I was a little bit skeptical on is Matthew Wood of the Canadians. And, mm. and he, he, he was, I believe in the second game, he was listed as basically a fifth liner. He was kind of an extra forward. And I think he was also feeling a little under the weather that game, but he looked good 
he looked impressive. He was, I mean, he's a big dude. The issue for me has always been his skating. Can he move around and get to the places? But he, he really just needs to to get, you know, into the zone and around the net. And if he can do that, he'll be fine. He had a goal and a couple assists in that game. But he was doing more than that. He was, you know, protecting the puck. He was, you know, getting in good shooting position. He was battling in front of the net. And that's my questions were, who's going to help transport the puck for him? And well, they have plenty of centers that can do that. I mean, it's been Celebrini mostly that I think he's been playing with. And then he also had some time with, I believe, with Pratra. Both of those guys are are great at transporting the puck. But as long as someone can do that for Wood, he can do a lot of the rest. And he's he's really impressed me. I was, you know, he seemed like he was also kind of down in the lineup. And he kind of worked his way up. And he's looking, he's looking really good, especially after a bit of a down season at Connecticut. So I don't know. What have you thought? Have you noticed Wood much? I have, and I'm not surprised that he's excelling in this tournament because he's got good skill and great size, and he's in his second year of of NCAA, so he's playing against older competition. So, and he's a he's a returning player. No, no, he's not. But no, he's not. It's only Beck as the returning. Player. Right, right. But he, yeah, he was close to making the cut last year. Anyhow, uh, maybe it's the U18s I'm thinking of. Hmm. I'm I'm it's not really changing my overall impression, right? He's just the, his play in this tournament has just been reaffirming my opinion of him that he's a good player, that he's talented, but his skating is is as Sebastian said on the episode rough. And it's not NHL caliber. He doesn't he doesn't get around the ice quickly enough. So whether or not he can he can compensate for that lack of speed and mobility with size and hockey sense and protect the puck and and you know and he's not going to win any races <laughs> it's an icing call or if he gets a breakaway it, it might not last because the defenseman can can catch him relatively easily he's going to have to overcome those challenges so it's still not really changing my opinion of his nhl upside which i think is questionable he might be a really good example of a player who does really well at the tournament and be a good time for you to sell if you have him on your fantasy roster while the value is high. Yeah, I think so too. I I watched some extra tape on him and I feel the same way as Sebastian. Like it's I mean, he was getting out out raced and outperformed by college players. And yeah. Yeah. He didn't have as much help as he's as he does right now on this Team Canada roster in terms of transporting the puck, but that's the real that's the real issue for him. But uh, he doesn't have speed or quickness, right? And there's a difference, right? Like the speed is yeah. is the straightaway, the breakaway potential and the quickness is like you know, you're battling for a puck and it pops loose. Can can you jump on it before the other guy does? He loses those those races almost every time. If it's within his reach, like to take a step, he can do that. But if he, yeah, if he needs to move, yeah, he's not very agile. So if he has to right. take a few steps, he's not going to get there. But he does have a very long reach and he uses his frame well. So especially like when you're battling in the corner in front of the net, he can do really well there and he can he can pick pucks like from behind him and, and move them forward. He he can do all that, but as soon as he has to move, that's really the issue is his his movement is very right. Slow. And even even when he's not trying to win a race, when he's carrying the puck, he just doesn't have great lateral mobility either, right? Like he's not very dexterous. Light the lamp with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a five dollar bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Everybody's favorite, Lane Hudson. 
We're a couple of games in. The United States has scored a boatload of goals, and Lane's got two points. He's way down on the, the scoring chart for USA. What do you think about that? And what do you think about how he's looked defensively? Because if he doesn't score points, that's not really the end of the world. We all we all know his offensive capabilities, right? Like, I don't think anyone's worried that he forgot how to make passes and score goals, dangle. Uh, so what you've probably watched all the American games. What's been your take mm-hmm. on on Hudson's play so far, specifically defensively? Yeah, I think it's I think it's been good, actually. I think that in the past we have talked about some issues that he had. And I think we all remember how he basically lost the game for the Americans at the at the men's world championship by getting kind of undressed. I think that for the most part, those sort of snafus are a bit of a factor or a bit of a because he's out there in high leverage situations and he's out there a lot and you remember them because they're memorable but for the most part he's done really well i have seen he's you know he's he's back he's got good positioning he uses the stick well you know obviously down low he's not very effective at clearing guys out that's always going to be an issue for him but that hasn't been as much of an issue for the americans because they've been mostly playing in the other team zone but when it has happened you notice that a little bit but for the most part He's he's driving play. He's moving at the other direction really quickly. And that shows a lot. His shot chance contributions for defensemen is second in the tournament, according to Mitch's data. And his transition data, his transition game is also basically one of the one of the top ones up there, one of the top ten, anyways. You'd expect him to be a little bit higher. I would I would expect him to be a little bit more involved in the offense. And I think to some extent. I think Hudson has maybe been trying a little too hard for some things. I think that he's probably putting a little bit more pressure on himself, trying to trying to do too much when I think he doesn't he doesn't really need to as much. I think he's got a lot of great you know forwards and support out there, but I have seen some really good work from him, and I think he's getting a lot of attention, and it has allowed some other players to thrive, like Zeev Bouillon, for example, have been really good. So. Yeah, I think that for the most part, I'm not too worried. I've I've seen some really good work from Hudson with his stick and kind of being in the right position. His skating has looked has looked good. I think his edge work is really good. It's 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 a bit more with his pivots and some of his backward acceleration. But overall, it hasn't really been an issue. Even in the pre-tournament game, that was a great pre-tournament game, by the way. Canada, US, that was that did not feel like a pre-tournament game. That felt I don't think those boys knew it didn't count. They they definitely wanted to win on both sides for sure and he looked he looked good against you know obviously much better players than they've played so far and um you know obviously Canada scored some goals but they were just really good plays I don't think they were necessarily Hudson making mistakes so to speak so that's what I've seen I don't know have you seen something different Pete from Lane Hudson well the most significant thing I think I think I've seen so far is that it seems like the United States is deploying him in penalty kill situations on a regular basis which I find fascinating, right? Because that's, you'd think that he made the team to drive the offense and they're putting him out shorthanded, which I didn't think we were going to see ever. And it's been pretty regular. Now you were talking about some of the egregious mistakes he makes defensively, specifically the one that cost him the game against Germany at the the Worlds. I think I haven't seen any of those in this tournament. And, you know, I see less and less of them on the Twitter highlight reel of lane hudson too if you do a lane hudson search on twitter you'll see all kinds of prolific offensive maneuvers and not as many defensive whoopsies that's why he's drafted in the 
late round. And that's why he wasn't a first round pick tweets. Uh, so I think he's, he's working hard at eliminating those from his game. But based on the nature of his game, he'll never completely eliminate those. There's, oh, there's always going to come around every once in a while. They're, they're going to creep because he's a, he's a chance taker, right? And more often than not, it works in his favor because he's sublimely skilled. But every once in a while, he's, it's, it's going to blow up in your face, right? You're going to be too late throwing the grenade and it's just going to blow up right in your face. It's, and, and it looks real bad when it happens. You just got to live with that with players like him. And, and I'm okay with that, especially because it's a fantasy team and I don't have to worry about my fans getting upset about his defensive mistakes and we don't count negative plus minus. So again, I don't care if he, if he gives up the odd goal here and there, as long as he scores, you know, four points in five games for me on, on the regular. So um, I'm a little bit curious as to how he hasn't managed to have more than two points in a game where, you know, they score 11 against latvia i think it was today they, they played latvia no or, or yesterday yeah anyways they, they scored a whole bunch of points goals like 11 3 was the final score and lane was nowhere to be seen on the score it sheet, was really switzerland switzerland and right. norway norway and switzerland is who they played yeah my bad thanks vic so you know my opinion on him i wouldn't say it hasn't changed but i think it's actually gotten better Right, because he doesn't need to convince me of the offensive upside. I know that's there, right? I know that he's going to score some points when he makes it to the NHL. Montreal fans are going to love him, and the fact that he appears to be cleaning up his, his two games—it's—it's it's a lot of—it's a big statement after two games to say he's cleaning up his his defensive warts. But you know, I'm seeing it, and and the coaches are putting him out shorthanded. So those are really good signs for me. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think that, you know, in the mold of Quinn Hughes, can he be a number one defenseman in all situations kind of thing? You know, that's, I think that's the hope, obviously. I mean, that would be the ultimate goal, right? Put him out in all yeah. situations. I mean, dangerous on the power kill, you know, kind of things like that. I don't know that he's there yet, but I think that's the mold that they're putting him in. Did you have something? Yeah, another thing I've noticed about him that really bodes well for his his ice time deployment is, does he look like, He's significantly undersized when he's out there. Like when he's when you're watching USA and you're trying to find Lane Hudson, you got to look for number twenty. You can't look for the Hobbit on the ice because he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't look shorter than anyone else to me anymore. Like not noticeably. It's not yeah Sean Doogie short. No, he he definitely you're you're right. He doesn't look that small. You know, I think that was that was always a concern. I believe he's he's five eleven, almost six feet now. So right, he, he definitely is. You know still going to be considered undersized but not not that bad what what i find interesting is that yeah they it seems like they have wanted to leverage him in all situations i'm looking at the tracking data from from mitch brown and he is currently 16th amongst all defensemen in this tournament and this is measuring all things like entries prevented defensive zone breakups retrievals it kind of combines a bunch of even strength things so He's not like in the top 15 there. And there are three American defensemen that are ahead of him, which is interesting because kind of, you know, what you're saying in the, in the picture we're painting is like they're putting him out in more situations, kind of leaning on him in all situations. And maybe they shouldn't, I think, is what this data is, is suggesting. Although I don't know that that, I mean, it's small sample size, but it is interesting. The only one below him is actually Zeev Buyam, who I have thought and I noticed and thought was pretty good. 
So maybe maybe that isn't accurate. In case you're wondering, the other ones ahead of him, Ryan Chesley, I don't think anyone's surprised by that. Sam Renzel and Drew Fortescue. And Fortescue is there for exactly this reason, to be a good defensive presence, not to drive much offense. The one who is maybe a bit surprising, who is way down at the bottom, is Seamus Casey. And that is maybe a bit surprising because he is a bit more offensive, but also thought to be, you know, more reliable two-way. But he, he's had some points, but he hasn't been as good defensively, which is interesting. So the other guy that we have to talk about, who I want to talk about, I think my favorite defenseman in this entire tournament is Denton Matejchuk. I mean, the guy is, the guy's a freaking stud. And when you talk about all these metrics that combine offense, defense, entries, everything, he has literally been the best defenseman in this tournament. And I don't think it's just because he plays for Team Canada and they're a good team. I think he has been, he's been everything. He's been everywhere. He's been all zones, you know, offense, defense, anything you need, you know, scoring, running the power play, breaking up passes. You know, he's been the captain at Moose Jaw the last two years. He's been well over a point per game this season, three points, only three points in the two games, and they did put up a 10 spot. So maybe you'd expect more, but one of the things that Mitch tracks is advantages created, which I think is a really interesting stat. You know, being able to create an advantage for your team is huge. Like whether or not you can take advantage of it is another thing. Most of the players on this list of this advantages created are all forwards, except for a couple of defensemen. Frank Nazar, Celebrini, Gautier, Hulkanen is there for the Finns, Brindley, Perot, Leonard, Poitra, all these guys. And then number one is actually someone we talked about, Robin Dionicio. He is number one in terms of advantages created. He's the Swiss defenseman. I think we can safely say that the team hasn't done enough with the advantages he's created because they haven't looked too good. But Matejchuk is right there, basically tied for second with this, this graph is trying to be broken by these guys. But 20 advantages created, 20 advantages created in two games. So 10 per game. That's that's huge. I mean, that's basically flip the play and turn it the other way. And your team basically can get a scoring chance out of that. Massive, massive. So he's just so fun. I love him. And it has nothing to do with the fact that I have him in a couple of these pools that, that I'm in. I actually picked him early because I love Matejchuk. And I think that's an interesting situation too, right? Because he's a Columbus draft pick. And and obviously Columbus has Wierenski. They have Yerchek, who's there now. You know, they have some, they, they obviously brought in Provorov, Severson. So they have some good defensemen there. And, and people wonder like, well, what is Matejchuk going to be when he's there? But I think that he he's showing he he can be a, a top pairing all situation kind of guy. He's a lefty, so you know maybe it becomes a lefty righty situation. But you also have to remember that Matejchuk is pretty young for his draft year. He's a July birth date, so he you know just recently turned nineteen. So he's still doing this all pretty young, and he'll be eligible for the AHL next year. And I just expect him to to raise himself up to that top top line potential and. You know, between him and Juracek, I like both those guys. I think they could both be top pairing guys in, in two, three years. You know, who runs the power play? I think it depends on lefty-righty and whether you want more of a shooter or more of a playmaker because I think Juracek has more of a bomb uh, than Matejchuk. But I, I love this guy. What, what have you thought of him? He, does he deserve a few more points? Yeah, I think he's going to be near the the top of the defenseman at the end of this tournament when it's all said and done. He's going to have to be for Canada because, you know, they lost Leno and Molendyke. They lost him as well. And, you know, so that that's really depleted Canada's back end. And 
it's gonna be a lot of a lot of weight and burden and pressure on him and all the ice time he can handle which is significant right everyone in this tournament plays top minutes for their club team in whatever league they play in for the most part minus the guys that are playing pro perhaps you know, one of the players that they replaced the Canada replaced those injured defense with that, that I'll be keeping an eye out for as well is is Ty Nelson. We talked about him a couple times on the podcast. We seem to like our Seattle prospects, I guess, huh? We talk about them a lot. I like Ty Nelson though, so I'm happy that he's made this tournament and you know he's a late addition, so he's got some catching up to do in terms of of team play and you know travel, jet lag and whatnot. Canada's got today off though, so if that'll help, it'll give him a chance to to rest and get caught up with the time zones and practice with the team. I like Ty Nelson. He's a little bit a little bit short, but he's not a small player. He's quite stocky, and I think he'll feel fare very well at this tournament. So that's a player I'll be keeping an eye on. Yeah, yeah, I want to comment on that guy, on those two actually. So one of the things that 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 Mitch also tracks is controlled exits and entries, and as much as I also like Ty Nelson, he and Bonk are quite literally two of the worst in that metric. In fact, he, <laughs> his first game, Bonk's first game, he he went zero for ten in terms of controlled exits. That's, I mean, that's impressive. Like, like you think you'd get at least <laughs> a controlled exit or two, just you know, as as almost like a gimme, you know, a little a little freebie. I mean, they were playing the fans, and and that's you know, they're they're a really good high pressure team, but that's. That's not good. And when you play some tough teams and you have two defensemen who can't get the puck out, that's not going to go well. So I like I like Nelson in particular, his physicality, and and he definitely brought that in the games. And you saw a couple of a couple of big hits. Even though he's not tall, he's very strong. I think he does some good things, but <clears throat> this this might be an issue. And it's something to watch. You know, if you like watching these kind of things, watch those two in particular and how well they get out of the zone. There's some other interesting names at the bottom of this list that I'll just mention. Philander for Sweden has been particularly poor. Unfortunately, Adam Yurchek before he got hurt also didn't look so good. That was really unfortunate. His brother got hurt in the same same tournament. Right. Axel, yeah. Axel sending Pelika, R2 Karku. Ryan Chesley actually is on here. Matthias Havlid. All these guys have been pretty poor in terms of getting the puck out, which is just something to monitor because if these kind of depth defenders well chesley not so much but if these guys can't get the puck out and it gets turned back into their zone that's going to be a problem for for them so something to watch as the tournament goes on yeah i'd be surprised if they're all there at the at the end of the tournament it's we're only two games in well i think that's a plenty of plenty of players after two games to talk about Uh, i think we got a couple more mailbag questions so why don't we jump into our mailbag segment You've got mail. All right. So we got a couple questions. This one comes from Derek Manning. He's a listener and he has, he's a a huge Caps fan from Baltimore. And Derek wants to know, what's the timeline for Ryan Leonard to the NHL? And what have we seen from him in World Junior play so far? Uh, Do you want to go first? Yeah, yeah, sure. I think that Leonard has been everything I expected him to be. He's kind of a glue guy. He does everything. I think some people underrate Leonard's skill. He really has some soft hands around the net. He's he can he can do some dangles. He's not just like a, a tough guy, although he is that. But he's also the most responsible two way guy on on that line with with Smith and and Pro. Smith is is 
pretty defensively devoid at times, I would say. But I think those three, we still don't really know how well they play apart because they continue to play together. <laughs> they play together at the NTDP, they play together at BC, they're playing together here, and they continue to look great together. So it's still annoying that we don't know the answer to that. Uh, he only he got one point today in the 11-3 thrashing of, of Switzerland. So didn't didn't learn a whole lot there but i thought he was I, I thought he's been great you know he's been you know when we're in the light upon you look at the tracking data and it looks it looks good for him you know he's he's doing well in transition is creating advantages all those kinds of things i do think that ryan leonard you know is probably gonna you know i think he's good enough to come out after one year of college i think it depends on what the capitals want him to do i don't think that that team is in a hurry to get someone like him although i think he really could help someone like obi you know i think that that's that's an interesting proposition of course they have some other players that are a little bit closer but i think that i i, oh, I guess he didn't ask that that was a different question but in terms of what we expect of leonard i think that he is going to be that that guy who kind of does everything i think he'll probably be better in real life than he will be in fantasy you know just because like is he going to score like 80 points Probably not like he could, but I think he's more likely a, a 50 to 60 point guy with great peripherals. That's that's probably the most most likely outcome for Ryan Leonard. But there's certainly upside for more kind of depending on his situation. What do you think about Leonard? I could see him coming out as soon as this spring. I mean, I think I'd be more surprised if he plays sophomore year than if he didn't. Uh, so I could see him definitely suiting up for a cup of coffee when Boston college season ends, which will be late March. And uh, he'll have an opportunity to to play for USA at the world championships in all likelihood. It's an interesting point you make there where, you know, it's the same line for the past two years now where they played together internationally and, and at Boston college and at the national development team, we would have a, a small sample size at like rookie camps and stuff of how we played without those guys. And, off the top of my head, if memory serves, the accounts were were very good, that he looked really good at the rookie camp for Washington. Washington doesn't have a lot of contracts that are expiring. Of course, they have some, but you know, I think he's the kind of player that even if you don't have contracts expiring, you make space for a guy like this. And with the decline of Kuznetsov and the loss of Backstrom, I think there might be more of a sense of urgency. I don't think there's a off the top of my head, I'm not sure what's available in the free agent market this summer, and you never know what's available for for trade. But Washington has been a team that's been trying to contend for a long time, so they don't have a lot of trade capital to acquire a player that would be significant competition for a, a top six center line for him. So, so yeah, I could see him making a push to make the team next year. Yeah, and I think between those three, Leonard Smith and Perot. Leonard is quite clearly in my mind the one who will easily fare the best away from the other two. Like his his skills are just so translatable. I think he can play with anyone. I think Smith and Pro need more specific situations to do well in, which I think they can get, but I'm I'm least worried about Leonard translating. Yeah. Let's move on to the next one. I'll set this one up for you. Dave Frederick from St. Uh, from St. Louis asks, "How soon do we see Jimmy Snugroot in the show and what kind of player does he project to be?" What do you think about Snuggeroo, Pete? So I'm I'm really confident that he's developed as, as much as he really can in the NCAA. This is his second season now there. And, you know, he's been pretty consistent. 
in the NCAA. I think he's ready for the pro challenge so i would be very confident in him signing a contract at the end of the season and foregoing his junior and senior years in college but i think a year in the american hockey league is also probably in the cards for snuggerud you know the blues are a patient team in terms of their development with their prospects and it's a big step going from from college to pro hockey so i Fully expect him to to turn pro, but I'd be surprised if he jumped right in to the NHL. And in terms of of what we think, or what I think anyways, he projects to be as a pro. I think he's a really good prototypical St. Louis Blues kind of player. He's a two-way player. He's got some size. He's got, you know, a little bit of a little bit of bite to his game, but he's a good two-way player with a really nice goal scoring touch, as you're seeing today this hat trick with with usa at the world juniors and i think he'll be right near the top of the tournament scoring as well by the time the gold medals handed out that's my take on on snuggy what do you think victor yeah i agree i don't think there's any way he plays a junior and senior year in the ncaa i think that he at the end of the frozen four which i'm sure he and everyone is hoping that minnesota goes all the way this year they were really close last year and lost out near the end. And this team is not quite as good, especially without Cooley. But I think that they're going to be they're going to be there at the end. And once the NCAA tournaments, he plays whatever five, six, eight, seven, eight fewer than nine games, I would imagine. And then I think probably like pushes in camp. I think there's a good chance he makes the team. Like looking at where he is compared to where Jake Neighbors was when he made the team, I think he's better. So I think there's a pretty good chance that he makes the team, but I don't know if they're going to want that much youth and whether they have a, a specific role for him. So I, I also agree that AHL is probably a better place and he would do well to tear up the AHL before coming over. But he's he's right there. He's on the precipice. And I think that he projects to be just an awesome, you know, power winger. He's he's shown that he's got the size, he's got the he's got the touch, he's got the physicality. Uh, he he really popped off in his D plus one year and he hasn't really slowed down. Even though the point totals look a little lower this year, he's been great. And I think he's showing everyone, you know, this is like, this is his time to shine. In fact, one of our St. Louis uh, patrons took him first in our FHL world junior pool. And I think some people were like, Whoa, little surprise, you know, like, I don't think there's a clear number one this year, like there was last year. But I think if you're going with an American hard to go wrong with top line, left wing, high scoring, guy like jimmy snuggerud and he he showed that that was a good pick today with the hat trick so i think he he has that kind of potential certainly to be a high scoring winger and you know wingers are left, left wingers or he's listed as a right wing are pretty pretty hot commodities so i think that that's someone i'd be really interested in hanging on to for a long time and i think he i think he has point per game upside i think he can do that i don't think he'll live there but i think that you know he's probably like 65 to 70 ish with upside for more at his peak, not going to happen right away. But yeah, I think Snuggerud's fantastic. Yeah, I think he's I think he's underrated. All right, one more mailbag question, and then we got to go. I got holiday things to do. Dave, another question from Dave. He's a two. He wants to know what have we seen from Dalibor Dvorsky so far in this tournament. What are our thoughts on his timeline, and what kind of player do we see him becoming? I haven't watched a Slovakia game myself yet, Victor. So. I'll throw this to you right away. Have you seen this Slovakia game yet? I watched a little bit of the Slovak game. Unfortunately, it was at times that I couldn't pay as much attention. But from what I saw, 
it was exactly what I expected from Dvorsky. He's a, he's a really strong player in all situations, and he can do anything for you, win faceoffs. He's he's an excellent play driver. I don't think that he's going to be the biggest point scorer. I think that he's going to be more of a of a great two way guy, and that's kind of what what he's been. He actually hasn't. He doesn't have the most uh, expected primary points or or that kind. But if you look at his shot contributions and his transition play, that's been great. So I do think that's a little bit more telling in terms of what we can expect from Dvorsky is just more of a more of a solid two way guy and not as much of a scorer. But I think that he certainly will put up a decent number of points. I think he's more of a middle six center, you know, kind of more of that 40 to, to 55 point guy with upside for more if he ascends in the lineup, but I think he's more comfortably suited there. Yeah, that resonates with what Shane Malloy told us about him at the draft when we talked to him and had that interview on the show, that he's a really confident NHL player, but he'll be a better NHL player than than a fantasy producer for you. So if you're asking as a Blues fan, I think you're going to be happy with him when he arrives. If you're asking as a player that has him rostered on your fantasy prospect bench, you'll be less enthusiastic about it. All right, well, that's it for Report 38. Going to go back to watching some World Junior and eating some hot turkey sandwiches. Uh, For feedback on the show, if you want to chat with us, if you have a a question for our mailbag, you can reach us on Twitter at DPR underscore show at Farling, Victor Nuno 12, and Saber 91 are all our Twitter handles or X handles. Don't forget to follow our sponsors, the Hockey Pod Net, and all the great podcasts that are on the network there. THPN is the hashtag you can use to find them on, on X. Please subscribe to the show, iTunes, Spotify, or however you're listening to, and, and give us a five-star review if you're really digging what we're laying out. And that's it for today, everybody. Enjoy the World Juniors. Don't eat too much turkey, and keep your stick on the ice. How many assholes we got on this ship anyhow? Yo! Let's do that hockey. Yo!